What a glorious day, isn't it glorious? That was weak. I know I, I probably surprised you with the glorious. So I'm going to say the, the, this is how I woke up my children this morning too. I ran into their rooms and said, he's risen. Yeah, I heard, actually, Elijah, I think, said that, and every other child I had said, mmm. And so I waited, I said it again and again until they could respond to me, which meant they were awake. And they loved their father more. No. We are on this glorious Easter resurrection day. Um, we have traveled through the account of Luke. The historical account, we've worked our way from the very beginning of it all the way through, and we've had different moments where we kind of switch things around. So Christmas, we worked through the Christmas parts and different things we kind of switched and moved. Um, actually, the very first Easter we had, I preached from the res- a resurrection passage on the road to Emmaus from Luke. And so now we're back. We're three years later just over three years later, and we have, we're, we're leading up to the very end of the book. It's, it's incredible to think about. And as we've worked our way through the book of Luke, the account of Luke, we've seen that Jesus lived to show us what God was like, that he extended the invitation of the kingdom, and he did that to every willing heart. We saw it over and over and over in stories and in teaching and in all sorts of ways. Jesus reaching out to people, to outcasts and prostitutes and tax collectors and zealots and Pharisees and fishermen. All of them invited in to this incredible kingdom. And there's this kingdom announcement that keeps going out over and over and over that this is good news for everyone. This is good news for everyone. And then... Of course, Jesus was betrayed. He endured suffering at the hands of wicked men. He was falsely accused and convicted by a mob, and he was condemned to death by Roman crucifixion. And he was hung on that cross, and there he died. And the sky went black, and the temple curtain tore, and the ground shook. And I think everyone who left there left there feeling dirty. They went home feeling dirty, like the shame. They were part of this incredible shame, the greatest shame in all of history, this incredible injustice that had taken place and his blood somehow on all of their head and hands. How empty would you feel as you left? I mean, there are moments where we all feel empty, aren't there, in our lives? I have a video about this. Now there was a man named Joseph. We pick up our passage, Luke chapter 23. There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it 
laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women, women, women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned to prepare spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's word. You guys, believing that the resurrection is true changes everything for us. Believing that the resurrection is true changes everything for us. Jesus died and was buried. If you talk to people, uh, people you know who are not Christians, who don't believe in, and especially people who didn't grow up in the church, and, or maybe some who did, and, and they'll tell you that they wrestle, they struggle with, um, they'll question the authenticity of the Bible. You know, that, you know how do we know it's true? Or they question, you know, well, how do we know Jesus was actually around, this guy, you know, Jesus, and, or, and especially his resurrection. These are the things that really stick for people. And often that's where, um, you know, if you ask them about Julius Caesar, do you, do you believe in Julius Caesar? People will say, well, yeah, of course. Do you, do you believe he was a guy who walked around? Yes, of course. Well, and then you should tell them that there's more historical evidence for the person of Jesus than there is for Julius Caesar. And they'll say, wow, really? Yes, the guy who lived around the B.C. A.D. time change, an influential teacher, purported healer. He was killed by the Romans around 30 to 33 A.D. in there, in that range. No decent historian is disputing this. There's a mountain of historical data for the person of Jesus. He died and was put into a tomb. All four gospel accounts Tell this story that Jesus died and was put into the tomb. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. I wonder when did the enemies of Jesus finally feel safe? Because it doesn't sound like they really did. You know, I wonder, like, maybe some of them, it was when he was being nailed to the cross. They said, okay, now we've got this. Or maybe it was when he gave up his spirit. They said, okay, now. Or maybe when, when the javelin thrust Ensured they checked that he was really dead. Maybe it was then. I don't know. 
I don't know for them. Mission accomplished. I wonder, did they question, though, when the sky went black? Or when the earth started to shake? Or when the curtain was torn in two? Or was it just par for the course? You know, we're set. This is our goal. So it doesn't really matter what happens now. John tells us that they didn't want the bodies hanging up on the cross, on the crosses, over the holiday. And so the way you speed crucifixion along was you would break their legs. Kind of sounds brutal, but the whole thing is brutal. So that was the way you'd speed up the process, is you'd break their legs and then they would die more quickly, suffocate more quickly. John chapter 19 says this, but when they came to Jesus and they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. Jesus died. Now, not everyone in the story is a bad guy, and we see that in our passage. There's this guy, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. As I read this week, I got really captivated with Joseph. I kept thinking about him, and I'd move on to other parts, and I kept coming back and thinking about Joseph. This guy who is looking for the kingdom, who saw it somehow in Jesus, and then he missed out on the the trial. He slept through it or whatever, wherever he was. He wasn't there He finds out at whatever point that it's too late. And then he goes publicly to get the body of Jesus. Man, did Joseph weep as he washed the body? Did he grieve over the body of Jesus? You guys, they died too. All of them, everyone who was looking for the kingdom and thought they saw it in Jesus. They died when he died. Everyone, everyone who, who thought Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, who saw it in him, who believed it to be true, died when he died. Everyone who'd, who'd bought in and sold out and followed him, given everything, they died when he died. We see it after when they they regroup in these stunned silences. It just seems like, as you read it, in twos and threes, drifting off down Emmaus Road or back off to fishing or wherever. One thing was certain that they knew. Jesus died. They knew that. There's no giddy conspiracy to fake a death and resurrection. These clueless clods just grieve in shock and disbelief. Or keep busy with what needs to be done. And the women, they, they plan to prepare the body. That's what they're doing. And so their, their Sabbath runs from, I know we always think of a day like when I wake up and then when I go to sleep, that's a day. But the Jews didn't think of days like that. It was from sundown to sundown. So Sabbath was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. It ended. And so on Sabbath At the end of Sabbath, it would have been Saturday evening, but the women wouldn't go in the dark to the tomb. It wouldn't be safe. And so they go as soon as they can, the next morning, early in the morning when it gets light at dawn. And they were going to put spices and ointments on the decomposing corpse so that it wouldn't smell. That's what you did. That's what people did if they had enough money to do that. 
It was like a, a show of honor and respect. No one is arguing anymore about who's the greatest. No one's fighting over who gets to sit where in the coming kingdom. They're not doing that anymore. No one's calling fire down from heaven on the Romans. No one now to mend their broken hearts and broken dreams. Have you ever been there? Some of us have. The moment where you realize the victory isn't going to happen the way you thought it was. And all your plans turn to ash and our dreams are dashed or we stand in disbelief at something maybe that God didn't act like the way you thought he should or that he was going to. Maybe you've been there. Maybe the miracle you asked for didn't happen. I've been there. Maybe, maybe the provision that you're praying for is slower than your mounting debt. Maybe your ability to get the job done has failed, maybe spectacularly or maybe in small ways, in your family or your job or your school. Maybe it's daily physical or emotional pain that doesn't stop. Maybe it's small griefs or big griefs, but a part of us dies when that happens, doesn't it? Doesn't a part of us die when we experience that? Romans 6, 8 says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And 2 Timothy 2.11 says it's a saying, actually, a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Like This is the saying. I'm feeling down. I'm crushed. If we die with him, we will live with him. If we died with him, we will also live with him. We'll be raised up. Oh, this is just burdening me. If we, if we died with him, we will also live with him. They would say it to each other. And then I thought I shouldn't just take things out of context, right? Like it's not a good thing as a pastor to do, right? Someone's going to be like, hey, do you know what the rest of that verse says? And I looked at this one. Do you know what? <laughs> it happens to be one of my favorite verses. Surprisingly, I didn't recognize it. Second Timothy 2.11, do you know what the rest of it says? <laughs> the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, and that's the part where I love because it should say, if we are faithless, he will also be faithless because we deserve it. Right? But it doesn't say that. It says, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself who he is. You guys, we enter into this death with him because it is also our death. But he is faithful. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Do you know this week, this is the best thing ever. This week, there was a resurrection hoax. Okay, no one else finds that funny? <laughs> it was, it, it was um, Pastor Alf Lukau of Johannesburg. He was, I have a picture. Let's get the picture up. There he is. And the faked, it was this faked resurrection of another man. So they took two men, they arrested two men in custody. One is the pastor and another guy. And the third guy who was part of it was raised from the dead. That's the hoax. And his name is Brighton Moyo. 
And so the story is like he came out of the hearse in the coffin and then he came back to life, supposedly. He also, apparently, they found out, has been raised up out of the wheelchair and a bunch of different other things happened to him too. He must be a great actor. (laughs) And um, so Brighton, this is like, you can't make this up. Bright, so the guy who's in the coffin right there, he fled when he found out that was exposed to Zimbabwe, which is where he's from. And then, reportedly, he contracted pneumonia and died. That's, it's funny, isn't it? He, okay, I thought it, was, I thought it was a bit funny. So you guys are feeling bad for Brighton. So they're saying now that... No, so now, with the, with the pastor in jail, he's saying no one actually claimed that they were dead... We did, no one ever said that, and actually they're saying, well, well, you know, when he was in the hearse, someone said, oh, he's breathing, and so we did say that, and so they're kind of going back on it. That's what a hoax is like. I mean, Pastor Lukau is not going to death for this hoax. He doesn't even want to go to jail for this. That's how it goes. So, so we look at the resurrection. It's the most outrageous claim in the accounts of Jesus. It is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, I mean, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, verse 17, it says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If this is all a big hoax, this resurrection thing, all of it falls apart. That's what Paul says. But, If it's true, then the entire world is utterly transformed. That's the claim. Now, it's a strange, it would be a strange kind of hoax, I think. Because I'm thinking about it, you know, I'm preparing my sermon, so I'm thinking about, like, how would I do a hoax if I was going to do a hoax? Like a first century hoax. And so I started thinking about this, and I started thinking, I wouldn't wouldn't have women in the story, that's for sure. And nothing against women. I love a woman very much. The deal is, though, in, for Roman culture and Jewish culture, women didn't have any, there was, they couldn't testify. Their word was c- considered, this. it didn't matter because, you know, they just thought, you know, it's just a woman. So she can't testify. She has no ability to speak into that. So you wouldn't have a woman being the one to do that. Secondly, I'd make myself out to be the hero. As I've told you a lot of times, I like to think about that. How I would be the hero. I would, I would be watch Jesus, his, the, the breath come back into his lungs, and he sits up on the bed. I'd help him take the linen off. I would have been there in that moment, wouldn't I? I mean, that, that would be the best. And then you could tell everyone about that. And I'd make sure we all got our stories straight. Everyone's stories, all the details would be exactly the same because we should make sure we're all on the same page on this one. And I'd keep it to a small, manageable group. Just a a few of us, because that's how a conspiracy can keep going for a long time, if it's just a few. And I certainly wouldn't give my life for it if it was found out. I'm with Pastor LaCalle. I mean, hey, no, 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 this wasn't, this was just a joke. But the accounts of the disciples are the opposite of all those things. It's women who go and, and see Jesus first. They're the first ones with the message. 
and they, they bring it back, and they're all returning from the tomb in a jumble, perplexed and frightened, and they, I picture them all coming in the door and talking at the same time, and they're just, hey, whoa, slow down here. What's going on? Well, whoa, the stone was moved, and there was no body, and oh, the linen was folded, and there's angel tour guides, and, and they're like, what? What's going on? And like, slow down, like, one at a time, I need to hear this story. And in the end, what, they, what the disciples say is they call it idle tales. Or in the NIV or the New American Standard, it would be um, th- that it's nonsense. Or Strong's concordance, which I loved, explained this, this Greek word as twaddle, <laughs> which is a really common word we use all the time, right? I'm going to start using it. Twaddle, nonsense, hooey. Like, it just... Pfft, they like listen to the whole story and they're like, this is twaddle. <laughs> it's like, what? You're saying nonsense. None of, this is crazy talk. That's how they, they respond to these women. But these aren't weirdo women. Like they just walk, who are you anyway? These, these are the, the women from Galilee who've been with Jesus and the group for the whole time. I mean, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, mother of James and John, many other women are there that they know. Like, picture your mother comes back. It was some of their mothers comes back and says, we saw Jesus alive, and they're like, you're nonsense. Like, you get in big trouble if you do that. <laughs> These women were followers of Jesus. They've been there the whole time. And no one believes them, of course. Peter goes to sea, marveling, but unsure. And even later, Thomas, when he hears it from the guys, won't believe either. He says, I need to touch his wounds. The angels say, he's not here, but has risen. That's what the committee, the reception committee, sends the women on their way and later others with this message, he's not here, but has risen. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this in chapter, or verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he goes on to detail all these different times Jesus appears, and there's even more than the ones he details there. 13 times, more than 13 times, Jesus appears to different people, women and men and individuals and groups inside and outside. The doors are locked or on the beach or on the road in disguise, in glory, cooking and eating. And I think there's some laughing there too. This is not a figurative resurrection. This is not a philosophical resurrection like of ideas or thoughts or the way of Jesus. It's this, oh yeah, we resurrected his way. No. Lee Strobel writes this. He says, while most people can only have faith that their beliefs are true, the disciples were in a position to know without a doubt whether or not Jesus had risen from the dead. They claimed that they saw him talked with him and ate with him. If they weren't absolutely certain, they wouldn't have allowed themselves to be tortured to death for proclaiming the resurrection had happened. Years later, everyone's still saying the same thing. Whoever's left. I mean, the group keeps getting smaller as they kill them off. But John's there to the end. 
Find him. Where is he? Patmos? I don't know. If he, Ephesus, where did John go? Well, if you find him, you can look him in the face and see in his eyes when you ask him the truth and the conviction of what he saw. Because the gospel message hangs on their eyewitness declaration, bathed in the blood of unrecanting martyrs, unrelenting, unrepentant, people who said, Jesus is alive because I saw him alive. So if it seems unlikely to you that uneducated fishermen scattered and afraid, overwhelmed professional Roman soldiers at the tomb and stole the body of Jesus. And then that hundreds of them masqueraded this great hoax, being beaten and tortured and killed, while not one of them recanting, that over and over and over, their accounts, although different, are congruous and oddly self-effacing and sometimes ridiculous that these same conspirators spent their short lives going around the world, taking this message and this mission around the world, and suddenly became these bold, articulate movement makers, leaders, and instigators of a religion that right now today has 2.2 billion followers. If that seems unlikely to you, it's because it is extremely Impossible even, we would say. And of course, the greatest detective ever said something about that. Sherlock Holmes. He says, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Must be the truth. Jesus is alive. And this affects me and you too. This week, Thursday, this past week, Thursday is my my sermon prep day, the day I devote and I turn off, I do not disturb everything and I I put on headphones, I I don't hear anything, the world is shut out and I'm just preparing. And then some phone call broke through my do not disturb. It was my wife who's given that power And um, she called me and she said, the basement is flooded again. And I said, do not disturb, do not disturb. No. I was like, oh my goodness. And so I got in the car. It was the second time in a week that it happened the last Thursday as well. Only that time it wasn't as bad. It just come in a little bit and we caught it early. This time it was really bad. The water was all the way up to the basement stairs. And so this isn't like a thing that has never happened. So we have, I mean, we've, we've prepared somewhat, but it's, it's still kind of devastating. I'll admit, as I drove to get a new pump, I may have said some words in the car that were not fit for human ears. It's allegedly happened. In the end, though, um, it was my fault because the, the time before the concrete lid, when I put it down last week, I'd put it down on the cord of the main pump in there. And so it shorted the wire, popped the outlet, so the backup pump didn't work either. So in the end, it's my fault. And so it was either on the way to the store, or maybe I'm standing in the basement with all the water, and it's, everything's wet, and it smells like I'm in the pool room. It's like I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be writing a sermon right now about the resurrection. Where is the resurrection right now? Where is the resurrection? I, 
that I'm going to, like, how is this, how does this help me? Isn't that, isn't that how it feels sometimes? I mean, Carmen is battling for her life. Ben is not here this morning, and he will get a big chunk of his colon removed. Some of your marriages are hanging by a thread. You guys, some of your bank accounts are deep in debt. Some of your evenings are spent in swallowed in despair and sadness and loneliness. So what do you believe? What do you believe? The truth is that on our own, we are empty. Empty. And we spend so much of our lives trying to fill the emptiness with whatever we can get in there. I mean, all sorts of things. You could make the list too. Food and sex and alcohol and achievement and sports and recognition and workaholism and new stuff and money, and whatever else feels good in that moment. Trying to satisfy this deep emptiness we have. Frederick Buckner said this, Lust is the craving for salt of a man who is dying of thirst. Like, that sounds like a great description of sin. It's like going for salt when you're dying of thirst. It doesn't make any sense why we would go to all these things. And if you've gone down that road, you know it's true. All the way down, there's nothing down there. There's just people dying of thirst. That's all that's down there. But we have a better story. We do. John Piper would say it this way. The best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. That's a good story. I want that, is what I want. The God who came and removed every obstacle so that I could spend eternity in joy, seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. Galatians 2 verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You guys, the empty tomb means we can have a full life. That's what it means. It means you can experience real, lasting, and full life. Now, by full life, I don't mean pain-free life, which is what we all wish I meant, which is why they have the saying, if we died with him, we will rise with him. Right? That's the saying. And we speak it over our world-worn hearts or when we experience evil or pain or suffering, we need to say it over ourselves and each other. If we died with him, we will rise with him. Or Paul would say it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
And he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Or Philippians 1, 21, he says it in a shorter version. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, the resurrection is for us now. We get to experience it now, here, right now. That Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And then he rose from death and he lives in me. This changes everything. It changes everything. Paul says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. What? Just read that again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let your mind explode. I'm only hearing mine. You guys, just like Barabbas, we received a pardon that we didn't deserve as someone else died my death. I went free. And then just like the the criminal on the cross next to Jesus, the thief, I died with him. His promise of paradise still ringing in my ears. The old man is dead. And just like Jesus, I'm called out of the tomb, out of the grave, into the resurrection power available to me because of his spirit alive in me. And then the last one, which we skip over a lot, which is just like the apostles and the martyrs, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a resurrection that's still coming too. We're waiting to see it. That's why we break bread and gather together and encourage each other and pray. I'm feeling down. The world is crushing me. Here, have some bread. His body broken for you and his blood shed for you. Don't forget, we're all waiting together and we encourage each other and we lift each other up. We're waiting for the resurrection that's still coming. All creation is groaning in anticipation as we eagerly await this. Colossians 3 says it this way. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear too in glory then you're going to be there too. It's this beautiful picture and promise. You guys, believing the resurrection is true changes everything. It changes everything. Jesus died and was put into a tomb. And 
It's not really debated largely by historical scholars. They, just, they'll say, that's true. We agree. And his friends all died that day as their dreams and their hopes for a new kingdom on earth were shattered, were crucified on the cross and put into a new tomb. And then Jesus rose up from death. I mean, and that's debated. People are debating that. They're not sure. They're wrestling through it. But when the evidence is weighed, it's pretty hard not to believe it. These witnesses, so convincing in their stumbling and doubting and coming to understand, in their all of them being willing to go to death for the claim that Jesus is alive and I have seen him. And for you and for me, we also died with him and we are also raised up with him. This means if we believe it, that we can trade our sorrow for joy right now, this morning. An old life for a new life. And if you've never done that before, you can do that this morning. You can trade your old life, the one that's on that road to dying of thirst, for a new life, a beautiful, glorious, hopeful, satisfying life in Jesus. And it means we're also waiting. We're waiting, and so there's a tension. We're waiting to see all things made new, waiting to see him come in glory. And we're going to keep reminding each other of this. Let's pray.